0: And welcome to Parkview. We're glad to have you here. We are uh, really glad we had 12,500 people here for Easter. Thank you for coming. Thank you for being a part of it. We're really glad we had uh, nine services because there was only one service that had to have an overflow in it. And we're uh, really glad to hear the stories. And I'm glad to hear Tim Sutherland last weekend, weren't you? I mean, if you were here, that was phenomenal. I was I was at Chang's last night having dinner, and uh, one of the wait staff there knows me and she came up and she said, Man, I don't know what you preached last weekend, but everybody here's talking about it. (laughs) Wasn't me. Um should go online and listen to that sermon. It was really, really good. What we're talking about here is that the resurrection is not the end of the story. It's the beginning of the story. We're doing graceonomics. Uh, the economy of grace, what does that mean? Uh, how to have a second chance, how to be people of the second chance. We're going to talk a little bit more about being people of the second chance next weekend. I really want to encourage you to come back for that as we talk about John Mark and Barnabas, a couple of characters that you probably don't know much about in the Bible and just the beautiful art of being people of the second chance. We're going to talk about that even today with Mary Magdalene. I chose Mary Magdalene today because you don't know much about Mary. There's something about Mary, but you don't know much about Mary I'm going to tell you that she's the second most mentioned woman in the New Testament. Next to the mother of Jesus is Mary Magdalene. Do you know this and you don't know anything about her that's why you need me. I'm a professional. Don't try this at home. The more I thought about this this week, I'm, I thought you know did, did Jesus change anybody more than Mary Magdalene? I mean Mary Magdalene had seven demons. And and then she became the first person to witness Jesus at the resurrection. I mean, that's one of the most radical changes I think you could possibly ever think of. Underscores a lot of things for us uh, in this economy of grace we're calling Graceonomics. And one of them, just as I get started on this, is that Jesus brought a new Graceonomics economy to women. Okay? Which was unheard of in that day. You don't understand this because we live in a more enlightened day. But back in Jesus' day, women were not worth anything. And Jesus broke every barrier there was, including the barrier of gender. Now, you know, we know that we're different, right? We know men and women are different. We talk about this all the time. I love the fact that, you know, some. Some inanimate objects have uh, genders assigned to them. Like a ship is a, is a her, right? She's a she. And so they decided to do this contest and, and decide the gender of other inanimate objects to try to figure out what they might be. Uh, and these are the winners, okay? The win- one of the winners was Ziploc bags. What do you think they might be? They're male because they hold everything in, but you can see right through them. Right? Is that good? tire. It's male because it goes bald and it's often overinflated. Come on. This is good. Hot air balloon. Same principle is male because to get it to go anywhere, you have to light a fire under it. And of course, there's the hot air part. Sponges. Female because they're soft, squeezable, and they retain water. I didn't make this stuff up. I didn't. I promise. Web page is female. Female because they're always getting hit on. This is pretty easy. Hammer is male because it hasn't changed much over the last 5,000 years, but it's still handy to have around. (laughs) My favorite, copiers. They're female because once they're turned off, it takes a while to warm them back up again. (laughs) It's an effective reproduction device if the right buttons are pushed, but can wreak havoc if the wrong buttons are pushed. You know what I mean. What do we know about Mary Magdalene? We have a lot of assumptions about her, but here's what we know. We know that she had seven demons cast out of her. That's from Luke 8. We know in Matthew 27 that she was one of five people that witnessed the crucifixion. She stayed with Jesus all the way through. We know that she was there when he was buried, when Joseph of Arimathea buried him. Mary was there. That she was one of three women who went to anoint Jesus' body after the crucifixion was over. And we know that she was the first person that Jesus appeared to at the resurrection. That's all we know about Mary. Okay? So what's the problem with that? Well, the problem with that is that you and I have got a lot of preconceived ideas about who Mary Magdalene was. Why? Well, Mel Gibson in The Passion of the Christ made Mary Magdalene the adulterous woman that was almost stoned that Jesus saved from being stoned. That's not in the Bible. She might have been. But it's not in the Bible. I mean, we just we just make this stuff up. Many of you were taught growing up that Mary Magdalene, because she's mentioned in Luke chapter eight, right after Luke chapter seven, where the sinful woman was brought came to Jesus and was so grateful for the forgiveness of Jesus that she broke open her perfume jar and anointed Jesus' feet. That's in Luke seven. And so because Mary Magdalene is introduced in Luke eight. A lot of people assume that it's the same person. But you know what happens when you assume, right? Sometimes you're wrong, okay? And of course, the big idiot Dan Brown, who wrote the Da Vinci Code, decided to make Mary Magdalene into Mrs. Christ, which is wonderful, right? You say, well, what could be wrong with Jesus being married? Well, I think we could all agree that that would severely limit his ability to remain sinless. <laughs> Jesus wasn't married. Paul wasn't married for the sake of the kingdom. They decided not to be married. Jesus wouldn't marry and have children and know that he was going to leave at age 33 and ascend back to the Father. He wouldn't do that, okay? And besides, what kind of kids would he have? It'd be like Darren and Samantha's kids on Bewitched, you know? Are they going to be mortal or are they not? I mean, there's no way that Jesus did. He loved kids. He loved family. He loved everybody, but he did not get married. She was not having a relationship with Jesus. I think it's very important that we remember that we've had 2,000 years to make up stuff about people in the Bible. 2,000 years is a long time. So it was really important for me this week to go back and figure out what do we actually know about Mary Magdalene? What do we actually know about the way Jesus treated women back in the day? Well, just so that you can get a picture of this, this whole thing. Women were not allowed to voice their opinion in public. They were not allowed to go to school or learn to read. They were not allowed to go serve in the temple. They were not allowed to give testimony in court. Women were treated like dirt everywhere except when they were with Jesus. There are a lot of people out there that think that the church is sexist, and maybe some of them are. Maybe maybe we all are sometimes. Maybe we still have a long way to go with dealing with some of these things. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus was never that way. Mary and Martha were two of his best friends. They, uh, women were a part of his ministry team. And when he gets to the Samaritan woman, this story that I've talked about recently, the Samaritan woman who, who, who was going to the well at noontime to gather water because she was probably such an outcast society that that was the only time she felt like going there because she didn't want to be around all the other women and listen to them talk about how she'd been married five times and was living with somebody who was not her husband. So she goes to the well and Jesus goes up and talks to her and asks her for a drink of water and has a conversation. This would have been political suicide for any rabbi of that day to do this. She was a Samaritan. She was a woman. And it says in John chapter 4, in John's version, it says, When the disciples returned, they were surprised to find him talking with the woman. And that word surprise, that Greek word surprise there, man, that is a, that's an understatement. They were shocked. Their jaws hit the floor. Because Jesus was countercultural when it came to the things of women. And the first person that Jesus revealed his identity to as the Messiah was that Samaritan woman that was the first time Jesus said I am the Messiah was to that woman. Jesus didn't care what people thought. He was raising the value of women and I think that that's important and it's very important in the story of Mary Magdalene. So what do we know about Mary? Here's 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 something about Mary. Luke chapter 8 verse 1. After this Jesus traveled around from one town to the village to the other proclaiming the good news in the kingdom of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, that's the town she was from, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna and Susanna and many others, and these women were helping to support them out of their own means. Okay, I want to pause just for a second, because what we tend to do is read over those words and kind of skim over it and not grasp the importance of what that is saying. Okay? It's easy to understand how to, it's easy to miss how important this thing that Jesus created was. Jesus formed the first church, the first little community with men and women together. You have any idea how countercultural that would have been? Completely countercultural. And look at that last line. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Who's paying the bills for the first church? Same people that always pay the bills for the church, right? The women. But how did they do I mean, you think about this for a minute, will you? They couldn't get jobs. I don't know how they even came up with money to support the church. They had to make something or sell something. Some historians think that Mary's middle name was Kay. She had a pink car and, you know, I, I, don't, I, I don't even know how they did it. But here's the deal. During an era when women were considered property, when women could be divorced for burning their husband's toast, literally, you think it's bad today, literally, a guy could just say, I'm done with you and sign a little piece of paper and she was gone. That's the kind of place that Jesus came into and raise the value of women. And this, this raised a, a foundation of a community that by the time Paul comes along and writes a letter to the Galatians about what the church is supposed to be, he says this, there is no longer any Jew or Gentile. There's no longer slave or free. There's no longer any male or female for you are all Christians. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Do you understand that there had never, ever been a community? There had never, ever been a community like this ever in human history. Will you just process that for a minute? I mean, think about the the Greek thinkers, think about the, you know, think about the ancient more ancient religions, even Judaism itself, there was never an equal treatment of women until Jesus came along. And you look at the New Testament church and you've got a deaconess named Phoebe and you talk about Aquila and Priscilla working together. And you've got uh, women who had house churches in their homes and you have prophetesses and you go and all of a sudden everything has changed. And we don't pay attention to that now because we don't get that. But the church of Jesus Christ is not sexist. I'm telling you this. Okay. so what do we know about Mary? Seven demons. This is where I've been camping out all week. How do you get seven demons? She's Linda Blair times seven, okay? Can you imagine that? How does this happen to Mary Magdalene? And I don't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about the powers of darkness, because the truth of the matter is, I'm going to come back in late May, and we're going to do a series called Fringe. Uh, kind of knock off the TV show and we're going to talk about a lot of these things for like four weeks We're going to talk about the supernatural and angels and demons and all these things that you've got questions about Here's the here's the bottom line for now with demon demon possession in mary. Okay, Here, here's what we know satan Was an archangel named lucifer? who decided to rebel against God and a third of the angels went with him and that was a bad idea don't ever rebel against God if that ever comes up in your mind it's a really dumb idea and God kicks them all out and now they're mad and they're trying to they're trying to do everything they can to trip up God's people God's followers okay Now, I don't know a lot about demon possession. I know that it happened. It happened in Jesus' day. I know that it happens today. I, I, I got a lot of missionary friends in other countries that have seen some pretty crazy stuff. I believe that it happens. But here's what's important for you to know right up front. It won't happen to you. Okay? Mary Magdalene, for whatever reason, she got demon possessed. She didn't have God. She didn't have Jesus. She hadn't met Jesus yet. Okay. You have Jesus in you. You have no demons in you. I don't want anybody walking out of here going, Oh man, I hope I don't get demon possessed. Listen, first John four, four. You weren't going to do that. Well, some of you were, I know, cause I'll get emails later. First John four, four greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Why? Cause I'm a guy on a Buffalo. Oh, right. Hey bear. I bet you didn't know you were chasing a guy on a buffalo. Did you see it on Conan? I mean, I'm telling you, you saw it here first, then it's on Conan. That's the way it works. Uh, Here's my question. Okay. Here's my question about Mary, though. Did she ask for this? This is what I keep coming back to all week. Did she ask for this? Did she walk in one day and order the seven demons special? Or did something happen to her? Because I don't think anybody asks for demons to possess them. Okay? And it brings up this whole new world as a part of Grace Graysonomics that I'm trying to understand a little bit better. It's the world of, I feel bad about myself for something I have no control over. I want to say that again because it just perked up in some of your ears. I feel bad about myself for something I had no control over. I'm going to go with the fact that I don't think that Mary asked to be possessed by seven demons. I think that's fair. And I'm going to know that I'm talking to some people right now who didn't ask for that person to hurt them, abuse them, that bad situation to happen to them. Because here's what I here's what I keep coming back to this week. We spend a lot of time talking about the amazing grace of God, and we're talking about grace right? We talk about amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. But what if Mary Magdalene wasn't a wretch? What if you're not a wretch? I mean, we all are. We're all sinners. I'm not. I'm not trying to lay off the blame in our lives. And I love that song, and I love the thought that God came to forgive my sin. That's really, really important to me because I know I'm a sinner. But I'm starting to understand that there are a lot of vulnerable people out there that demons came and invaded figuratively or, sp- or spiritually or literally, one way or the other. And they came and invaded and they didn't want it. And now you're sitting out there or now they're sitting out there and they're feeling crummy and they didn't do anything. Somebody did something to them. And the larger issue is how do we help, how does the church help those of you who are a part of the world, who have been possessed, again, figuratively, literally. What about the abuse? What about the hurt? What about the torn up? God's been teaching me a lot lately that I need to see people with different eyes. I mean, straight from the news this week. Can we just do this? Oh, we can bring prostitutes in our room in Colombia because it's legal. Really, dip brain in, in what planet, let alone country, do you think a woman goes into prostitution of her own free will? I want to ask him that question. It's legal. Big hairy deal. There's not a prostitute on the planet that, that woke up one day and she went to high school and she took her high school aptitude test and it said, Oh, prostitution. Okay, I guess I'll go do that. You know that? Somebody forced those people, into prostitution. Or they woke up one day and realized the only way they could pay their bills is through prostitution. Or somebody abused them and degraded them to the point where they decided that their body wasn't worth anything anymore. That's the only way you get into prostitution. It doesn't matter whether it's legal or not. And I guess that's just been rolling around in my brain. And then, you know... We work, our church works with a lot of people, people that have been in prison and people that, you know, have done bad things. And it keeps coming back to that whole thing, that that saying that hurt people hurt people. Have you heard that before? Hurt people hurt people. Eighty percent of the men in prison, 80 percent did not have a father figure in their home. I'm not excusing what they did. Please don't misunderstand me. But when we start to experience the economy of graceonomics and grasp this reality that I'm not bad just because somebody did something to me, it could open up a whole new world to people who are hurting out there. So as I was processing this this last couple of weeks, I I started thinking about a story that my daughter, uh, Lauren, uh, told at a Wheaton Chapel a couple of weeks ago that I got a chance to go to. She got to tell about her experience in Bolivia, uh, where she went to work with street girls. And um, she's graduating with a psych major in two weeks, getting married in 60 days. Uh, her fiancé reminded me of that just a minute ago. And, um, and uh, that she's the one, the middle ones getting married in just a few weeks. And, uh, and then they're going to get some grad work done, and probably, depending on what God wants in the meantime will probably find their way back to Latin America somewhere to do this kind of thing for a big portion of their lives. Um, so um, I invited her here. I wanted to talk to her. I wanted her to sh- I wanted you to hear her story, but I wanted to talk a little bit more about it with her. She's not an expert. Um, she's never been Mary Magdalene, but she's worked with them, and I decided I'd rather spend more time on stage with her than anybody else. So would you welcome out my friend, my daughter, Lauren Harlow <laughs> Thank you. Mm. Isn't she cute? Um, all right. Tell us a, briefly about your the last half of 2011 and um, why you went to Bolivia. Yeah. And why are you smiling at me like that?
1: Because you're getting tired. You think? <laughs> Tell me about that thing you did once. Well, yeah,
0: whatever. Yeah. Just shut yeah. up and do it.
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> I went with a program through my school to Cochabamba, Bolivia, to volunteer for six months. I volunteered at a restoration house for teenage girls, ages 14 to 17. Um, The common denominator among them was sexual abuse. Um, So the restoration house provided um, aftercare for some of them who had been rescued, and also family, um, psychological support, and... Training, So okay. basically I jumped in with the staff there for six months. All
0: right, and you speak Spanish, so that was important to be able to do that. Um, I want to show that picture of the Barbies on the bed, okay? When I went to visit, we went to visit um, Lauren over Thanksgiving while she was there last year, and I went by the dorms. These are girls who, many of them have children that are there. They're um, 14 to 16. They've been abused, sexually abused, common denominator. And I walked by and I looked at this bed and I said, Lauren, tell me about the Barbies. And she said, the Barbies are gifts that somebody gave to these girls at the house. And just the, the paradox of these girls that have been treated so horribly who... Mm-hmm loved those barbies because they'd never had one before right never, and it yeah. wasn't like they were it wasn't like they were acting five and they weren't playing dress up with the barbies but they wanted to keep those barbies and they wanted to they wanted to treasure them maybe mm-hmm. give them to their kids someday because they'd never had anything like that
1: and they said they weren't playing with them but it was like baby in one hand and barbie in the other <laughs> like you are so playing with your barbies yeah, that's
0: crazy man that is crazy Uh, So tell us the story of Betty, because that's the story I I really wanted to make sure everybody got to hear.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, So I chose to share the story at a chapel at Wheaton. And um, I chose to share it because it really represents my time, my relationship with the girls, and also what they go through and have been through. So I was in charge one weekend. It was just me and ten girls, three of them with their babies and I decided to take them to a nearby park, and it was like a Sunday evening, so we all went to the park, and Betty and I took all the babies, and the rest of the girls went and played dodgeball.
0: Betty didn't have a baby.
1: Betty did not have a baby. She just wanted to be babysitter, like she always did. So Betty's on the swing, and she's swinging with baby Susanna, and she's 14, she's getting really silly, so, you know, I just kind of reach over, and I'm like, you know, why don't you give me that child um, that you're going to drop on his head? <laughs> <laughs> she's like, you know, it gets kind of whiny, like, ah, oh, come on, hermanita, like, sister. Um, and I'm like, okay, you know, I'll just hold her for a while so you can swing. It's just for you. Um, and she's she kind of perks up, and she's like, you know, I love babies. And I'm like, yeah, I know, I can see that, <laughs> you know. And she's like, Well, I... why does why does Julia get to have a baby? And I'm like, thinking, Julia is the baby's mom who I'm the baby that I'm holding, and I'm thinking, Okay, all of these girls who have babies did not ask for them. And she herself was a victim of sexual abuse for years, so she should kind of be able to put this picture together. I knew she wasn't asking me for a sex talk. Um, you know, so I prodded a little bit, Betty, you know, what do you mean? And she's like, Well, I want to be a mom. I'm like, Betty, being a mom is a big responsibility. She's like, uh, I know. And she looks down and starts crying and says, I failed. Betty, what do you mean you failed? Well, she's crying. I, I drank that stuff and I aborted him. Oh, Betty, I bet you miss him. Yeah, I do. I miss him so bad, and it's my fault he died. And by now, I know the system well. Um, A man abuses a girl, and then she gets pregnant, and he pays for the abortion because he doesn't want to pay child support. Um, In her case, it was her stepfather, um, which is pretty common with these girls. So we're talking, and and she's crying, and I say, Betty, have you ever heard about heaven before? She's like, no. What's that? I'm like, you know, it's, it's someplace safe, and that's where your son is, someplace safe, and the the meaning and significance of that completely changed, you know. And then she's like, Well, if there's someplace safe and my son is there, can I go there now? And, I just, you know, how do I explain that theology in Spanish to you right now in the park? Um, it's a I, no, no. <laughs> we, you know, we have to wait a while. Okay. You know, then we, we kept talking. We talked about her son a little bit. And, um, yeah, the next few months that went by with her, she would be playing with one of the kids and, or one of the babies at the house, and she'd run over to me and kind of whisper in my ear, like, he reminds me of my son. So I could see there was healing, but the depth of the hurt there just represented everything about their lives.
0: Yeah. Some pictures of the girls, just so you can kind of get a little taste of what was. Just the girls making cookies here. Um, girl with the, one of those cute little Latin American babies, man. Um, Lauren with the girls. Yeah, just go through them. Another baby on a mom's back. I mean, it was startling to go in. and I mean, you know me. I, I played to the babies because they're so cute, but their moms are babies. And this is Betty. Just being goofy, looking goofy. Mm-hmm. Yet all that hurt, all those things have gone on in her life already at age 14 mm-hmm. um how did you explain love to betty tell us that
1: hmm. um i had this moment of realization um, one day when i was hanging out with betty we had tutoring sessions every day afternoon so she gets out her notebook and opens it up to this drawing that she did of jesus <laughs> um, wish we had the picture oh i, I so wish we had the picture uh Jesus had beautiful curly eyelashes, um, kind of like this, like, pucker look. <laughs> so he was
0: cross-dressing Jesus? Well-groomed, across, beautiful locks, the curly hair. Um, yeah. be, oh,
1: yeah. no, I was very feminine-looking Jesus. Um, and I s- laugh. I start coughing because I'm, like, trying not to laugh at her picture, and I can't help it. I'm like, this is... This is the most shocking picture of Jesus I have ever seen (laughs) and will ever see. Wow, that's really interesting, you know? (laughs) She's like, do you think this is what he looks like? Um, Maybe. (laughs) Maybe. Uh, She's like, well, do you think he's good? I'm like, "Hmm. yeah, yeah, I think he's pretty good. She's like, well, how do you know? You know, and up, up to this point, she's been exposed to two staff members who are male, who have treated her with love and respect, and that's it. So this whole category of a good man is very new in her mind. Um, so how do I know he's good? Well, you know, he loves me and you. You know, she's, well, what's love? I know her vocabulary is really stunted, um, but that wasn't a question about vocabulary. Mm -hmm. Um, So I started racking my brain. We talked about her family. We talked about her home growing up. I'd read her file, and I realized that I could only think of three people um, who had actually shown her love and who I could use to explain who Jesus was. And one of them was me, which was shocking. Hmm. So I'm trying, I'm sitting there with her Hmm. thinking of the ways I've loved her and trying to use that as examples of what love is so that I can use that as an example of who Jesus is. Hmm. It just kind of reshapes how you think about your interactions with Hmm. people.
0: By this, woman, will all men know that you are my disciples. Yeah. Um, the Samaritan woman, you know, we've always understood her as being this woman who was married five times and living with a guy. But you you told me the story of your professor who's from Africa who was shocked at the way we interpret that story. Would you tell him mm-hmm. that one? Because um, I've done it. I'm guilty.
1: Right. Yeah. That's what we would expect. A woman who's been divorced five times and is living with a man, perhaps she just is discontent, wants to keep going, but um, my professor, who lived in the Congo, would never have even thought that way, because women, even in his context, where he was living you know, just a few years ago, don't have rights. Um, they definitely do not have the authority or rights to divorce their husband, and the reason why they would be divorced is for infertility. So, if She is not getting pregnant. He's going to divorce her. And women can't live without uh, a man because they couldn't own property. So how, you know, how would they have a roof over their head? So basically, um, according to this other interpretation, she was passed around and seen as invaluable because she couldn't have a child. Hmm. And she had to be living with a man. And And that is who Jesus talked to.
0: And Jesus did not ever say he did not ever accuse her of being sinful. We
1: mm-hmm.
0: put that category on her. Mm-hmm. And Jesus told the adulterous woman, go and sin no more. He didn't tell yeah. the Samaritan woman, go and sin no more. <sighs> and, uh, what, what I'm trying to say here is you know, the, the eyes, the lens with which we see people... It's just drastically changing for me. I'm 50 years old and it's drastically changing for me. I'm not excusing any of the behaviors of the, of the people that, that we work with or the things that are going on, but until we start to understand why Mary Magdalene didn't want to have seven demons and we stop throwing her in the category of she's the adulterous woman or she's the, wom- the woman with the alabaster jar until we can start treating her with respect because she's just a human being I mean, we've we got to treat res, with respect the Samaritan, the, the Samaritan woman, the adulterous woman, anybody. Everybody comes to Jesus mm. and we're all equal. But mm. but if I'm if I'm in that situation, if I'm the Samaritan woman, <laughs> and, you know, I get to meet her in heaven someday. And she says, why did you use me as an example of Jesus reaching out to the sinful? I had no choice. Mm. It's very, very different. Um, what would you say to the Mary Magdalene's of the congregation, and I mean that in, a, in in the sense of something was done to me, the Bettys of our congregation. And what would you say to the church that you've learned from being out in that? How, how can how we do things differently?
1: Mm. Um, I wouldn't say anything to the Bettys, and, because I feel like so much of the time as a church, Um, body as as a large, maybe not this church, we trivialize each other's pain, Um, and that's almost an excuse for community sometimes. Instead of saying, you know, I hope it goes well for you, or whatever you would say to offer grace, we need to get involved in one another's lives. Um, We need to be reaching out to people, and so the thing is, is I would hope that any Mary Magdalene's in this room, not to at all put anyone in a category, but I hope people would say, like, hey, I need help. But really, they shouldn't have to. We should be seeking one another and, and looking to find one another. Um, because Betty couldn't have ever said hmm. what she needed. And what she needed was unconditional mm. love. She needed to lose her frame of mind that said, maybe I can do something to work for the approval of someone so that I am loved. Yeah. She had carried that frame of reference around all the time and just like sought approval from everything. And we needed to change that and say, you don't have to do anything. Um So I guess what I would offer the church is go seek out people, even outside of—inside this church body and outside. People in different socioeconomic situations. People in different areas of Chicago. um, Because we have so many resources here. That's that's something I realized. Mm -hmm. um, Is that I knew the answers to a lot of the girls' questions. You know, basic, like— What water should I drink? Or, you know, what is this for? Oh, that's hand soap. Let me show you. Because I've been given a family, and I have no right to keep that family support to myself.
0: Good. Yeah. Not to judge, Mm -hmm. not to assume that because you're a single parent or... You know, or or you're poor or you're whatever, that you got yourself into that situation. Yeah. And that we demonstrate love. I mean, we may be the only love, like you were to Betty. We may be mm-hmm. one of the only people that can exemplify love to that person that you're running into.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. Because if you don't have a category for what love looks like, you're never going to understand what it is. Mm-hmm. And that was true of Betty. Yeah. So.
0: Thank you. That was fun. Love you. Love you. All right. Um, what 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 happened to Mary Magdalene afterwards? Um, this is this is really interesting to me. After the whole thing is over, um, it, it, Mary got involved. Okay, she went from seven demons, and, and I gotta say right now, do you have problems better than bigger than seven demons? Because if, 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 I mean, put this into perspective. If Jesus can take seven demons out of a person, then you're pretty well okay, don't you think? You ought to be able to come to Jesus with the full realization that everything in your life can be handled by Jesus. I know one of the problems in my life is that I tend to think that I have to solve my own problems. Anybody in here like that? You know, I, I'm going to solve my own problems. I don't, need, I don't need anybody else's help, whether it's a little problem or a big problem. Well, guess what? When you have seven demons, you have to go to Jesus. And maybe that's the best thing that happened to her was that it forced her to go to Jesus. Now, here's the fascinating thing about what happened after that. Mary never left Jesus' side. From the time he cast the demons out of her, he never, she never left his side. She was one of the people who supported him. Think about this for a minute. She could have said, well, I can't follow Jesus. I'm just a woman. I'm just poor. I, I can't do this. Look at my past. Erwin McManus in his book, Seizing Your Divine Moment, said, we've defined holiness as the things we separate ourselves from rather than what we give ourselves to. He says, I'm convinced the greatest tragedy we have are not the sins we commit, but the life we fail to live because we didn't think we deserved it. We didn't think God wanted to do it in us. Why did Mary stay so close? I mean, the truth of the matter is, Mary was so close at the resurrection. I'll read this account in just a minute. Jesus has to say, Mary, you've got to let go of me. I'm going to go back to heaven for a little while, okay? I mean, literally, Jesus has to say, hey, could, could you give me a little room here, Mary? You know, do I have to get an order of protection? I mean, this just get a little stalker-ish on me, okay? Why was it that Mary went from seven demons to being the shadow of Jesus Christ? Well, what do you think? Once you've had seven demons cast out of you, you're a little nervous about them coming back. So what are you going to do? you stay near to Jesus. We went to Africa several years ago. We went to see the hippos in the river. Um, I don't know if you know this or not. You, you think when you go to Africa, you'd be afraid of lions and tigers and bears. But what you're afraid of in Africa, most deaths are caused by elephants and hippopotamuses. So when we went to the river to see the hippopotamuses, there was a guard there. We were over in the country of Tanzania, and there was a guard there from Tanzania with a gun, and he gathered us all together before we walked down to the river, and he said, you know, in his broken English, he said, hippo's very dangerous. There's crocodiles in the river as well, so you need to stay near the gun. (laughs) And we all understood that. Don't go wandering off. Stay near the gun. So here's uh, me and the gun, okay? I did that. I'm gonna stay right by the gun. If you've been possessed by seven demons and you know that only Jesus can rescue you, you will never go very far from the gun. Am I right? So Mary just stayed with him. And I want to tell you, if you're Mary Magdalene today, whoever you are, however many demons you have, when Jesus casts them out of you, stay near to him. Follow him. Be involved with him. Get as close to him as you can. Make him pull, his, pull your hands off of him because you're staying so close to him. That's what Mary Magdalene did, and she's our example. So we get to the resurrection. John chapter 20, verse 2. And Mary goes... And she saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance, and she came running to Simon Peter and John and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've taken him. And the two disciples are like, what? And so they ran to the tomb, and who won the race? John, just want to make sure you're paying attention. John won the race, and Peter got there, and he went into the tomb, and they saw that it was empty. And everybody left, except for Mary, who stayed there and stared into the empty grave. Why? Because she's she, stay near the gun. I got no place else to go. Where is he? I'm staring into the gray. They treated him so badly. How could they be so disrespectful as to take him away? She was so distraught. She didn't even see the two angels in the tomb when they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? And she sobbed. They've taken my Lord away. I don't know where they've put him. And at this, verse 14 says, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't even realize it was Jesus. She was so distraught. Maybe she'd been weeping and they didn't have waterproof mascara back then. I don't know. Maybe it was just so foreign to her to think that he was there. Maybe, ladies, it's like when your husband says, where's that whatever in the fridge? And it's right there in front of him, and He can't find it. I don't know what the situation here is. But Jesus says to her, he calls her by name. Mary. She turned towards him. Imagine this moment, just in a moment. just just gives me chills. Turned towards him and cried out, teacher, rabbi. She gave him a big hug. And Jesus said, let go of me, Mary. <laughs> Don't hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm returning to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Now, will you grab a hold of that for just a second? Because I don't think I've ever paid attention to this before. Jesus hasn't even gone back to see God yet. Did you catch that? He's resurrected and he hasn't even gone back to see God yet. He hasn't even gone back home. Where is the one place you want to go when you've been dead and in the grave for three days? Huh? You want to go back home. You've been on the cross. You cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because you had the sins of Tim Harlow and Mary Magdalene and the world on you. And you've been separated from God. And now all of a sudden you're out. The first place you want to go is home. But before he goes home to my father and your father, to my God and your God, he makes one stop and he talks to one person. And it's not Peter. And it's not John, the disciple Jesus loved. It's not even his mother. It's that crazy demon-possessed woman who won't go away. <laughs> and Mark says, when Jesus rose the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons, and she went and told those around who were mourning and weeping that Jesus was alive. Then he went home to see God. Then he appeared to 500 plus people at the resurrection and showed up later that night at the, at the party the disciples were having and surprised them and said, peace be with you and showed him his nails, scars, and, and all those things happened, okay? But before he even went back to the Father, he stopped to talk to Mary. This is what I'm talking... Is that a good story? That's a good story, my friends. Here's what I'm talking about. I think the more demons you've been rescued from, the closer you're going to stay to the gun. Just don't let go. Your reaction should be, I'm following Jesus to the cross if they kill me with him. I'm going to be the first one to the tomb. I'm going to be the one that takes care of him. I'm going to be doing everything I can. I'm not going to let go until he tells me I have to let go. That's who I'm going to be. And what it looks like to me... It also appears to me that the more demons you've had, the closer Jesus wants to be to you too. We're going to have communion now, and um, it's an opportunity for all of us who are believers, and you don't have to be from Parkview. If you're a believer, we welcome you to come with us now to this journey um, of communion where we're going to take a moment. We're going to... Think about what Jesus did for us. And I want to I come back to that place I was earlier, the guy in the buffalo, whole thing. The, the, the deal is, as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you are uniting yourself with the with the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And I want to assure you, the greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And I don't want you walking out of here going, oh man, I wonder how Mary got seven demons. I hope it doesn't happen to me. It can't happen to you. If you have Jesus Christ and what we're going to do right now gives us the power to walk out of here in victory, riding on the buffalo. Let's pray. God, I thank you for this uh, story. Thank you for new eyes on old stories. That Samaritan woman thing just gets me because I've been the guy who lumped her into that category a lot. I've preached it and. I've been the guy that's judged those bad people out there a lot in my life, and I hate it when people do bad things, and I hate it when hurt people hurt other people, but I I need to understand what happened to the hurt people in the first place. And as all of us could be more like you, Jesus, to be able to look past the demons, to be able to look past either the the sins that we've committed or the sins that people did to us, and just realize, just to say what you said, Lord, that you came not for the healthy but for the sick, and that one way or another we're all sick. And I'm no better than a murderer on death row. And when I start to realize that, then I can learn to be love to these people. And we can learn to be loved to these people. That's what your church was when you established it. We pray for it to come back and to be here now. As we do communion now, Lord, we, we're going to offer it to everybody. There may be somebody here who needs to get right with you right now. They need to just open up their heart and say, Jesus, I want to take this communion Because I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. I want you to be in my heart. I accept what you did for me on the cross. I accept your amazing grace for such a wretch like me. Because one way or another, there's not a person in here who hasn't, of their own will and volition, sinned against you. So, we come as sinners. We come as sick. We come to unite ourselves around the cross where you looked down and forgave us all by dying for all of our sins. And we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.